Well, welcome to week number four in our series uh, that we've entitled Heroes. Uh, men and women that God used in powerful ways, but these men and women were all very imperfect, and God used them to further the kingdom. And today we are talking about Elijah. Now, we've been kind of taking a journey uh, through the Old Testament. Of course, we couldn't do every major character, but we talked about Abraham, which was circa 2000 B.C., Joseph, about 1800 B.C., Gideon, that Pastor Brandon preached on last week, about 1200 B.C., and today, Elijah, about 850 B.C. And so we're kind of moving through the Old Testament chronologically and and hope that you'll be uh, recognizing some of the heroes of the Old Testament that teach us wonderful stories today. All of us need our heroes. Uh, When I was growing up, it was Zorro, and it was Davy Crockett, and if you remember, yes, I, I rocked the, uh, the little coonskin cap thing when I was eight years old, and also the Cartwrights from Bonanza. How many remember the Cartwrights from Bonanza? Okay, they were my heroes as well. But probably my greatest hero, although I would not have admitted it at the time, was my father. Uh, my father was bigger than life, literally. Six foot three, 350 pounds. He was a huge man with a huge personality and a huge appetite for God. Uh, My father taught me how to study the importance of education. He taught me how to play sports. He taught me about fighting. Uh, And he said, don't you ever, if I ever catch you starting a fight, you'll have to deal with me when you come home. But if anything happens to your sister's, dot, dot, dot. I understood the implication. I could go ahead and take care of that. He also taught me about Jesus. Uh, He and my mother were very um, important in my spiritual development. Uh, My dad used to take me to men's prayer meetings Sunday mornings uh, at seven o'clock to pray for our services when I was just a little boy. Uh, He used to take me to Bible study on Wednesday night, to men's retreats during the summer, and he taught me about my love for Jesus. He taught me about what it meant to be a man of God, to have integrity, to live with morals. And one thing that he always taught me was the importance of making choices. What are the choices you're going to make based on who you are and whose you are? And remember, I told you a few weeks ago, my dad used to always say, remember, you're a cross. And he said, more than that, remember, you belong to Jesus. That's how you want to live your life. So one of those foundational moments came when I was in the sixth grade. I was just 11 years old. And I had uh, fell into some friendships with some older boys, some seventh and eighth grade boys, uh, that uh, were uh, much more worldly wise than I was. And they had what they called a fort house. And it was a really cool, elaborate fort in a tree out in this vacant lot. And it was really neat. I mean, we put a lot of work into it. It was like, it was probably 600 square feet. It was big as uh, 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 Shannon and Brandon's house is going to be someday. when They're building a tiny house. So it was this big fort house and it was really cool. Well, there I learned all the important lessons of a young man's life, right? Uh, how to smoke a cigarette, you know? And, uh, and how to, uh, a, fir- a first glance of a Playboy magazine. And swear words that I'd never heard of before. They taught me all of these really important lessons for a kid. Yeah, that was the kind of friends they were. Well, these friends were very popular at their junior high school. And I thought it was really cool that they allowed me, a lowly sixth grader, to be part of their crew. 
And so uh, one night, they talked about staying overnight at the Ford house and uh, a sleepover. And then they were going to go and they were going to take care of some things at the elementary school. Uh, so leave some messages because they didn't like the way that they, uh, their teachers treated them when they were in elementary school. That didn't sound very good to me. It sounded really bad to me, in fact. But yet I had this strong urge, and some of you will recall this, to be part of the group. A strong urge to, you know, these popular kids wanted me to be part of their gang. And so uh, that night I went home and I asked my dad, I said, Dad, uh, my friends are going to be at the Ford house. They want to spend the night and they want to know if I can join them. And he said, well, what are you going to be doing? And I said, well, the only thing we'll be doing is sleeping. And of course, uh, that wasn't true. And um, he said, well, I, I'll be honest with you, son. I do not like those boys. There's something about them that I do not like. I don't like that you're hanging around with them, but I raised you to make your own decisions. So um, uh, even though it doesn't sound, and I didn't tell him what they were planning on doing. I just told him that we we're going to spend the night. And he said, but uh, I raised you to make good decisions. I want you to decide. Think about what God would want you to do. Think about what we would want you to do. And I want you to decide what to do. Well, that was a lot of... Uh, responsibility for an 11-year-old. Uh, but I took it, and I did pray about it, and I knew that what was going to happen was not good. And so I told my friends I couldn't do it. I blamed my dad, of course, and my dad said I couldn't do it, and, uh, and spent that night at home. Next morning, 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning, a knock at the door. It was a police officer. And my dad went and answered the door, and he said, is your son home? And my dad said, he better be. And he went into my bedroom, and yes, I was there, and he got me out of bed, and uh, the police officer said, were, with, were you with these boys, your friends, last night uh, at the school? And I said, no, sir, I was not there. I was at home all night. And he looked at my dad, my dad said, yep, he was home all night. And he said, well, your friends uh, destroyed the school pretty much. They broke all the windows, they trashed everything, and the worst thing they did was they took um, ice picks and they scratched swastikas. Now, this was 1960, right? It was only, you know, 15 years after World War II. Swastikas on the doors of all of the school. And they said, you were part of it. Those are my friends. Well, after all the dust settled down and I was talking to my dad and I was crying and, and he said, son, I, I, I'm really glad that you didn't go and I'm really glad that you made the right decision. Throughout my life, he said, throughout your life, you're going to make decisions. And those decisions many times are going to be very important that you're going to say, I'm going to go this way or I'm going to go this way. But you're going to have to decide what God wants you to do and who you want to be. It's hard to do the right thing and make the right decisions when everyone else is making the wrong ones. The prophet Elijah knew all about that. Once a long, long time ago, an evil king came into power over God's people. That was the children of Israel. His name was Ahab. And like the obsessive captain from Moby Dick, the Bible says that Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. So Ahab was a more evil king than the world had ever known, at least in the ancient Near East. He was called, in the message, a new champion of evil. So first he seduced the children of Israel into worshiping false gods, Baal and Asherah. And he made it his personal mission to stamp out every remnant of genuine faith left among God's people. He hunted, tracked, and slaughtered every prophet of the one true God. On the run, 
hiding in caves, afraid for their lives, Ahab eventually killed them all. All of them except for one. Enter Elijah. Now, even though all the prophets were killed, Elijah was the last known prophet in the Eastern world. Now, Ahab had a man that was in charge of his palace, a servant. His name was Obadiah. And Obadiah was a secret believer in Jehovah. He was a God follower. He was a God lover. But of course, he kept it on the down low because Ahab hated all followers of Jehovah. And so Obadiah, his personal servant, was out looking for some grass, some pasture land to, because they had a drought, to feed their, their sheep and their cattle and their goats, etc. And when he was out looking, he ran into Elijah. And he said, oh boy, you don't want to run into Ahab. He's been, and this is what he said, uh, he has been out to destroy you. Uh, the king has searched every nation and kingdom on earth from end to end to find you. And so that was the threat. He threatened the kings of other nations if they would protect Elijah. But God protected this man. He was never found until one day he walked in to the king's palace. Here we'll pick up the story. And uh, if you have your Bibles with you, to turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. And throughout the message, we'll be looking at that chapter, 1 Kings 18. Uh, if you um, don't have your Bibles, you can use your devices. It's on the screen. It's in your sermon notes. And at this point in the sermon, I always want to remind you to read your Bibles. It is a wonderful uh, tool for transformation. Read your Bibles. So we will begin by reading our Bibles. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 25, excuse me, uh, 18 verses uh, 14 through 19. Obadiah is speaking to Elijah after they meet uh, out in the pasture. And now you say, Obadiah says, now you say, go and tell your master. Elijah is here. Sir, if I do that, Ahab will certainly kill me. But Elijah said to Obadiah, I swear by the Lord Almighty, in whose presence I stand, that I will present myself to Ahab this very day. So Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, So is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers, he's speaking to Ahab, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel along with 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel. So here we find uh, the king could hardly believe his eyes when he actually ran in to Elijah. Obadiah brought him in. Is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? Elijah decided that it was time to stop running. It was time to stop scurrying away and hiding even though all of the other prophets had been killed. Elijah decided it was time for a showdown, and that's exactly what happened. Look at picking up at verse 20, our text. So Ahab summoned the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. 
But the people were completely silent. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting it on fire. I would prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the altar, but not set it on fire, fire to it. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God, and all the people agreed. Now Elijah said, listen, you've got to stop, and this is the phrase he used, hobbling between two opinions. You've, you've got to make a decision here. Talking to the children of Israel, you've got to make a decision here. Which God are you going to follow? Now, are you going to follow this God of Baal or Asherah or one of their many gods that they have, all the promises that they make? Are you going to follow the one true God, Jehovah, Yahweh? Are you going to follow our God? But stop wobbling. Stop trying to figure out who can, who's this and who's that. Make a decision. Choose today who you are going to follow. So really, from this text, we find three principles uh, to look at from this standoff. And the first principle is this. There will always be more false prophets than true prophets, right? There will always be more false prophets than true prophets. Some of you are saying, boy, I'm really glad that I came to church today. You know, we're going to hear about how they were completely outnumbered. Well, you are completely outnumbered, but there's a difference. You have the one true God on your side. 450 prophets of Baal. Baal means Lord or Master. He was also, as Pastor Brandon told you last week, he was the pagan god of the weather. So if anybody's going to be able to start a fire, it's going to be Baal, right? 400 prophets of Asherah. That was the god they worshipped through the sex goddess, all of that you remember. So 950 prophets to one. Just like Gideon, he probably thought to himself, perfect, the perfect odds, 950 to one. Some things never change. Did you know there, right around our area, within a square mile, we have a lot of really good churches, evangelical churches that preach the gospel. There's Cornerstone, there's Chandler Christian, there's the Baptist Church over here, Presbyterian Church over here. There's a lot of churches in a one-block area. But did you know that on a given Sunday morning, seven out of ten Chandler residents never go to church? We have all these churches. People say, oh, aren't you afraid of the competition? Are you kidding? We need seven more churches around here. But seven out of ten Chandler residents never go to church. We're always outnumbered. We will always be outnumbered. Now, the false prophets today don't look like the way they did back in Elijah's day. Uh, Brandon and I talked about uh, dressing up like each prophet each week, but I, after I saw myself in a headband, I thought that wasn't going to work. So we said no to that. So, but what do the prophets look like today, these false prophets? They don't wear robes or sandals, but maybe sometimes lab coats and bow ties and pocket protectors, and the message is always, always the same. Your God is not real. Your God is not real. Now, we're picking up um, 
a lot of conversation around politics these days, aren't we? As we're kind of getting positioned for the 2016 presidential election and all of that. And everybody's claiming that uh, they're coming into the race, especially the Republican side. There's dozens of people that are saying, I'm in, I'm in. A few more, a few Democrats, but a lot of Republicans. And here's the, the big debate among the, 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 the uh, D- Democrats and the Republicans. Who's going to get the religious vote this year? Because the religious vote, especially the evangelical side of the religious vote, is a very powerful block. They vote a lot, and they go out and they take their civic duty, so they vote. So who are we going to woo? And, but you know, as I was reading this article in the paper, uh, it said there's the largest group among religious people is the group that we call nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Do you know what nuns are? The ones that are on the box, where it says, what's your religious affiliation? They check none. That's the, last, la, la, the largest growing number of people in, in our country are nuns. And they're talking, well, how are we going to recruit these nuns and still recruit the religious right and the religious left on the Democratic side? How are we going to do all of that? Well, the bottom line is <laughs> we're really outnumbered. We're always outnumbered, and we always will be outnumbered. Atheism is the fastest growing religion in America. Under the cover of science and reason, Many atheists are often the most aggressive protagonists and are just looking for an opportunity to get into an argument with a Bible-believing Christian. Of course, of course, atheists aren't the only prophets in the world today. Uh, there are countless other religions in the world, each claiming to have be the one true religion. The Mormon Church and Jehovah's Witnesses are perversions of the Christianity Islam ardently and violently opposes Christianity at every turn. Scientology and Kabbalah, well, they have Tom Cruise. That's all they have going for them. Um, but perhaps the greatest lie of the postmodern movement is, that, is this. It just doesn't matter what God you believe in. Just believe in one. Pick one. It just doesn't matter. Most of your kids and grandkids on our high schools and colleges actually believe this, even the ones that were raised in the church. Well, they're all the, you know, all the gods are okay. It doesn't matter which one you pick. Just pick one. Whatever you do is okay. That's kind of the growing movement of this postmodern age. Mark Hooper, who's a professor of world religions at Coventry University, he once told the class about a missionary trip he took to India. While he was there, he befriended a, a Buddhist uh, who was a wonderful young man, a tour guide. They became friends. They really enjoyed each other's company. And then one day, uh, his Buddhist friend took him to a Buddhist temple. And he said, I'm really excited for you to see our temple because changes have been made in Buddhism. And you're going to be blown away by it. It's really good. And so he went in there and he was shocked to see literally hundreds of idols to other religions. Now, this isn't a Buddhist temple. And as he was looking around, the, his little friend, uh, the, um, his Buddhist friend, kind of gave him one of these things. He said, look over there. He said, what do you mean? Look over there. He said, that's your God. And it was, a, it was an uh, idol of Jesus on a cross. He said, that's your God. And what Mark Hooper took from all that is that this guy actually believed that it doesn't matter what God you believe in. Just believe in some God. It doesn't matter which one you believe in. A few years ago, uh, an epi- on an episode of the Oprah Winfrey show, show when she used to have her regular daily show, uh, while taking questions from her audience, Oprah said, there are many paths to what you call God. That's a quote. There are many paths to what you call God. A woman sitting in the front raised her hand and she said, yeah, but what about Christianity and what about the words of Jesus? 
when Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Here's what Oprah's response was to that. She said, no, no, that cannot be true. That cannot be true. And at that point, they went away to commercial break. That's the problem in our world today. They believe Oprah over anyone else. It cannot be true that there's only one way to God. It cannot be true that there's only one God in the universe. There must be, because six billion people believe in other gods. It cannot be true. It cannot be true. Well, why can't it be true? Because Oprah said so? Why isn't it possible that there's one God? Elijah believed that there was one true God and one God alone. So how many of you are old enough to remember the PSA airlines? Okay. <laughs> okay, you're old if you raised your hand. Um, PSA quit, actually they were purchased by someone else in the late 70s. And my first flight when I was 15 years old was on a PSA jet from San Diego to Los Angeles. I was flying up there, it was a, a you know, 25-minute flight, it was awesome. And what was interesting about this flight was in this, this particular jet, uh, it was a smaller jet, and I was sitting right up front, and in those days, they, they had a cockpit, but the doors were always open, right? Some of you remember when the doors were open to the cockpit, so you could see in there, and I was just uh, entranced by all the dials and everything. And right in the middle, they had a great big compass, right? And you could see where the compass was measured, and they would set it on exactly the right setting. And because they knew, the pilot knew exactly how to get Los Angeles, okay? If you don't know this, you head north, okay? That's how you get from San Diego to Los Angeles. And so he set it right on the exact place he wanted it, the exact number and everything, and, and, and we headed for Los Angeles. Now, some would say uh, that the pilot was, was pretty narrow in his thinking. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't very tolerant of other people. Why didn't he take a vote of people on the plane about what they wanted to set the setting on? Maybe they wanted to, to, to go a different direction to get to Los Angeles, or maybe go out over the water and then come back. Maybe they want, you know, why wasn't, why was he, was he so intolerant that there's only one way to do that, and that's my way? That's exactly what we believe as Christ followers. It's not that these other people are insincere, but they're sincerely wrong. God says there's one way to get to God, one way only, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. No exceptions, that means. It's hard to stand up to what we believe when everyone is against us. Elijah had supreme confidence in his God, supreme confidence that his God was the one true God. Do you have that kind of supreme confidence when you're challenged, when you're faced by somebody that says, no, there's a lot of gods, how can you dare say that there's a lot? Do you have supreme confidence in the one true God? When I was younger, um, I, 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 was, <laughs> I was one of those kids that believed every, everything I believed, I believed with all of my heart and uh, very committed. And I was a very committed Christian kid. And uh, I went to, uh, I started college when I was just 17 years old. And I was in this large, this is on the campus of San Diego State University. I was in this very large biology lecture hall, three, 400 students. I don't remember how many, but it was intimidating. I was a shy student anyway. It was intimidating. The biology professor gets up there day one, and this is what he says. He said, I want all of you students to know 
that if any of you still have kind of the old-fashioned idea that God created the world and God created everything and we're just to stand around and figure it out, uh, I want you to know by the end of the semester, you will recognize that there's only one God and that one God is science. Okay? And that's, that's his first statement. So I'm sitting there literally trembling, you know, because I, I, them's fighting words to me, but I'm so terrified to say anything. I, you know, in a class of 400 students, I didn't know any of them. You know, I, I just kind of shaking. And then he said, is there anyone in here that believes otherwise? You know, and if, if you do, raise your hand. And so he looks around, no hands raised. And finally he sees one guy in the back like this, you know, that was me. I, I did this just so I could tell my friends that I actually raised my hand, even though nobody could see it. Well, he saw it. He said, you, right there, would you stand up? What's your name? Uh, Dwayne Cross. Um, Mr. Cross, uh, are you telling me that you believe that God created all this stuff around us and God created the universe and God created all the things we're going to study in biology? And I said, uh, yes, sir, that's, that's what I believe. He said, well, by the end of the semester, I'm going to convince you that science is your God. And I said, sir, I don't think that's going to happen because my God created science. Well, he didn't like that at all, you know. But at that point, some other students in the class started standing up. One over here, one over there, you know, kind of like that. There wasn't maybe 20, 25 students. But basically we said, okay, we're going to learn, we're going to listen, but you're not going to convince us of something like that because we just believe it's not true. Stand up for what's right. Even if you stand alone. First principle, there are always more false teachers than true teachers. Principle number two, just because something is popular doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> In the first service, we have all of our teenagers sitting over there, uh, over here, on the, your right-hand side. And uh, I, I looked at them because they hear that from their parents all the time. You know, if your brother Jimmy jumped off a bridge, you know, that kind of a deal. Um, of course, we would jump off a bridge too. But it doesn't make it right. No matter how badly Eli the, 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 the followers of Baal and Asherah, no matter how badly they wanted their gods to be real, their gods were, listen, please, carefully, their gods were not real. Okay? You say, well, that's very intolerant. Yeah, I know that. I know that. I just talked about that a minute ago. Their gods were not real. William Penn, the historian, said that this way, right is right, even if everyone else is against it. And wrong is wrong, even if everyone else is for it. It may be popular to binge drink or smoke pot or cheat on exams or cheat on your income tax or break the speed limit. It may be popular to believe that we've, involved, we've been evolved from apes, but that doesn't make my grandpa a monkey. It may be popular to expect that all relationships end up in bed, but that ignores the powerful covenant relationship that God has given us for a man and a woman to have a lifelong healthy relationship. See, here's the deal. Who are we trying to please? Who are we trying to please? Society? The majority? Or are we trying to please an audience of one? The Lord God Almighty. I once heard a story of a, a railway gatekeeper who one very cold night required every passenger to show his ticket before passing through to the train. With everyone standing in line, cold and uncomfortable, there was a lot of grumbling and complaining, you would expect. As one of the passengers held out his ticket, he said, you are a very unpopular man tonight. <laughs> the gatekeeper replied, I only care to be popular with one man, and that is the superintendent. Elijah could have been very popular with his people and saved himself a lot of running and hiding 
in the, in the shadows and the caves if he had just caved in and followed the crowd. He was a renowned prophet with a powerful reputation. He probably could have been the number one prophet of Baal if he wanted to be. But Elijah knew that there was only one person he needed to be popular with, and that was Jehovah God. Jesus said it this way, no man can serve two masters. No man. Like Elijah said, choose a God. Make a choice. Decide which way you're going to go. Are you going to go Christ's way or are you going to go society's way? Make a choice. But be careful when you make a choice as to which God you will bend the knee to. Be careful about which choice you will make when choosing a God because that God becomes your God. For me, I want my God, I want to please an audience of one. And that's my Heavenly Father. One day, I would love to stand before the Lord and hear those simple words, well done, my good and faithful servant. At my father's memorial service in August of 1983, I th I've told you that story before, that he was just a young man, he was just 56 years old when he died. At his memorial service, the text that I preached on was those very words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. One last principle. There is one God and there is nothing he cannot do. For those of you who are struggling in your lives with circumstances, marriages, finances, children, jobs, you name it, there is one God and there is nothing he cannot do. Let me read to you 1 Kings 18, 33 to 39. These words. He piled wood on the altar cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. After they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And then they were finished, and he said, now do it a third time. So they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command, O Lord. Answer me. Answer me to these people who know, will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. There is one God, and there is nothing He cannot do. Now, the passage that I would like you to read later is the passage just before that. We didn't have time to read it today, but you remember what happened with Elijah. After they gathered, they put their bull there, and they, uh, all the priests of Baal and Asherah started praying, and there were 950 of them, and they were chanting and everything. Eventually, uh, Elijah realized that uh, they were kind of losing steam, so he said, what happened to your God? Is, is he not answering the phone? And literally, in the Hebrew text, it says, did he go to sit on the pot? 
I mean, did he go to relieve himself? That's exactly what it says in the original. Like, where's your God? And he basically called, which God are you? And then we come to this story, and he said their God didn't work. They cut themselves and did all kinds of things. Nothing happened, and there was silence, complete silence, and there was no God, no response. There was nothing. And then we see this amazing act of God when he comes down and burns the, cat, the, the bull and shows that he is God. What God have you placed your trust in this morning? To which God have you bent a knee, bowed down to? If the God of this world will satisfy you, then so be it. But make a choice. Amos said, when you are satisfied with the God of this world, when you are trying to eat and drink of this world, it's like drinking dust. But it's your choice. The God of this world will not satisfy, in my experience, structures, forms, politics of the world. None of them satisfy. When your marriage is failing, can you ask this question, is my God big enough? When you're unemployed for a year, is your God loving enough? When you've made a complete mess out of your life and you ask, where do I turn? Is your God loving enough? Or do you turn to the horoscope or Oprah or Dr. Phil or medicine or science? Who is your God and how big is he? Let me, let me help you put this in perspective. I want you to imagine at this very moment that I've got this in my pocket here. This is a golf ball, right, Chuck? Is that, is that verifiable? Okay, this is a golf. I wouldn't know because I don't know how to hit it. Uh, but this is a golf ball. And let's assume that this golf ball is um, our earth, okay? So this is our earth, represents our earth. And if you can see it, right, that tiny, see that little tiny spike there, Rob? See that? That's you. Okay, that little tiny thing right there. So this is our earth, and this little tiny infinitesimal thing is you. Now, the sun, we know, is much larger than the earth, right? Uh, in fact, if the earth were the size of this golf ball, then the sun would be a beach ball 15 feet in diameter. It could take 960,000 of these inside of that beach ball. Now, even though we think the earth is, or the sun is really big, um, cosmically speaking, it is very, very small. How big is our sun cosmically compared to the others? Well, I'd love to tell you about Beetlejuice, Sirius, and Vega. No, they are not movies, radios, or cars. Okay, these are giant stars. Recently, astronomers discovered that they believe they found the biggest star of all, in the Milky Way, at least. That's our galaxy, right? And it's called Canis Majoris. Now, if the Earth were a golf ball, Canis Majoris would be the size of Mount Everest. Six miles high. You can fit, listen, listen to this number, you can fit seven quadrillion of our Earths within. That's enough golf balls to cover the entire state of Texas 22 inches deep with golf balls. How big is Canis Majoris? That's how big it is. And that tells us how big our God is. Listen, 
Your God is so big that by the word of his mouth, he spoke the universe into existence. Not one earth, not one star, or a hundred stars, but billions upon billions of stars. 300 billion stars in our galaxy, the Milky Way alone, which is one of 100 billion galaxies that we know of, and many believe there are far, far more than that. Listen, if you are a child of God, you are a child of the star breather. Your God is so big, so strong, so mighty, there is nothing your God cannot do. No matter what the odds, no matter how difficult the task, no matter how much the debt, no matter how far your kids have wandered away, no matter how big a mess, no matter what, who you are or who you, where you are from, if you believe in Him, you have a star-breathing God on your side and there is nothing He cannot do. Nothing He cannot do. Paul said it this way, I can do all things through Him who strengthened me. Finally, Elijah, standing before all the people of Israel, Elijah announced, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Make a decision. Stand up and be counted. Say, this is what I believe, and this is who I follow. This is who I will bend a knee to. And the text tells us, they fell face down and said, Yahweh is God. Yahweh, he is God. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, sometimes we forget that you are so big and so great and so loving. You are a fire, you are a a, a God who loves us so fiercely with so much fire that you are a star-breathing God. <laughs> you breathe and another hundred billion stars take form. How big is our God? This morning I would love to leave with each of you this question that will ponder, be pondered in your hearts. How big is your God? When you face trouble and struggles, when you face difficulties, when you face things that are impossible like Elijah, how big is your God? Father, our prayer today is that each and every one of us would make that choice, that choice, which God to believe. Is if, it's, if it's Baal, let us just simply believe in Baal and follow that God. But if it's God, if it's Jehovah, Lord, may we realize that you are a God who is great and a God who loves and a God who shows great mercy. Which God do we choose? Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for the hearts that are open to receive it. And I pray, Lord, that all of us, all of us, every one of us, would recognize the star-breathing God that we serve. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's together, people's together said, Amen.